0: on the Skeleton Factory podcast. The credit card machine didn't work. It's probably filled with brisket juice and gristle. Oh, I'll suck your dick for money. Like, I don't give a fuck. He's like, I'm. once I kill you, I'm going to kill myself. So it doesn't fucking matter. And Fonzie's like, oh shit, now I'm really fucked. I'm about to get murdered by a guy who's suicidal. That's That's great. Like, if you're a guy and you fuck around with guys, you're fucking gay. Even if you also fuck around with women, like, you're bisexual, but you're also but you're gay. Okay. You basically become a murdering, psychotic, rape zombie. Hello, and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast. Episode, e- episode 35. 30 this is Adam coming to you from... Austin, Texas, and happy Memorial Day to you in recording this on Memorial Day. And uh, I'm glad you're here listening to the show with me today. You could be down at the lake, uh, paddleboarding, splashing around with your friends and family, having a uh, flesh-eating amoeba crawl into your urethra, up to your brain, killing you, but you're not doing that, you're here with me, so that's great, I appreciate that, well, before we get uh, too far ahead of ourselves, I just want to um, mention the passing just a few days ago on May the 26th of Ray Liotta, great actor, one of my favorite actors ever you know it's, he wasn't even in a ton of movies i mean he wasn't a ton of movies but i mean like um but like in terms of movies that i watch on the regular i mean he was obviously good amazing narc he's fucking amazing uh unlawful entry with uh was that Kurt Russell? And I think Madeline Stowe. Maybe it's not Madeline Stowe, but, uh, watched that a million times. And, um, Jesus, what else? Copland, you know, and all just those handful of movies I've watched probably hundreds of times. So I've definitely, uh, had a long time, deep respect for Ray Liotta's work. And, to hear that he passed away in his sleep, which is—I mean—that's the way to go, right? Passed away in his sleep, somewhere in the Dominican Republic. Uh, there was no, there was no uh, foul play or drugs involved, from what I understand. Uh, at least from the at the point of this being recorded, he just passed away in his sleep. He was 67 years old, so rest in peace, Ray Liotta, you will be missed. Okay, so today, we're going to be talking about women who kill people. We're going to be talking about movies about women um, who uh, have to kill people for a variety of reasons, and we're going to be talking about three movies today. Uh, The first movie is going to be 1996's Freeway. And the second film is going to be 2020's Love Dump. And then uh, we're going to follow that up with 2001's Series 7. So let's get into the first movie, which is Freeway from 1996, written and directed by Matthew Bright. And uh, Matthew Bright um, also directed the 2002 film Ted Bundy. If you were uh, ever in Hollywood video or blockbuster back in the day, there was a series of serial killer movies that were made. There was a um, there were, well there was a Ted Bundy movie, a Jeffrey Dahmer movie. Um, what else? There was there was an Ed Gein movie, and. Let me see, there was Dahmer, there were Ted Bundy, there was Ed Gein, oh, and Gacy, duh, there was Gacy. And um, all these movies were sort of like, you go to the video store and they were all kind of, I think they were done under the same company, I think, because all the covers kind of look the same. And uh, yeah, Matthew Bright directed the uh, Ted Bundy movie, which I do recommend. If you're not familiar with these movies that I'm talking about, Um, The 2002 Ted Bundy movie is, uh, it's awesome. (laughs) There also, I mean, nowadays there's like this huge resurgence, this sort of, uh, you know, people rediscovering um, Ted Bundy, which I I find kind of weird because he was just, just the nature of his crime seems so counter to today's uh, culture, let's say, but... People seem to like them. Some Ted Bundy. Also, there's been all this kind of Jeffrey Dahmer stuff, and you know. uh, But the 2002 movie's kind of it's kind of fucked. Like it's uh, fucked up in a. uh, (laughs) I'm gonna say in a good way, at least in an entertaining way, because that sort of 90s, early 2000s, kind of view of the world was. uh, It was an interesting time. There was less let's say let's say uh, there was less sensitivity to uh everyone like basically everybody was um ripe for the pickings in terms of being exploited um <laughs> but um you know rather if you're a serial killer a celebrity some fucking innocent person having your whole life fucking exposed it was just that time, it was that time of reality TV, um, fucking, it's really when, like, garbage news started to come around, and, like, everyone is guilty from it, from fucking NBC, CNN, Fox, everyone was guilty of it, you know, Um, just, you know, reality, like, daytime TV, that was fucking where it was at, it was just garbage, Garbage in, garbage out, and then you know these shows started going into prime time. Oh, it's, great. <laughs> it's fucking great. It not like it's much different now. There's just so much shit out there now that it doesn't seem so. Um, it doesn't seem so obvious, you know. There's so many streaming platforms, and oh, there's gonna be an Obi Wan TV show, and oh, isn't fucking Yellowstone amazing and. Oh, like, people are too scattered, you know? Like, back in the day, there was only so many fucking channels that were putting out pretty much the majority of what people watched. But, um, yeah. Anyways. Freeway, 1996, starring Reese Witherspoon, a very young Reese Witherspoon, very early in her career. And Reese Witherspoon has kind of become this, um, I don't know, she's kind of a national treasure at this point, right? That's, that's not that I've really kept up with her, uh, career too much, but, you know, she seems like a solid actress that everyone kind of, uh, she's sort of, she's pretty endearing, I guess, to some extent. Um, I don't even know what you can compare her to. I guess she'd be somewhere in the same league of, like, Sandra Bullock, you know what I mean? Like, she's not necessarily, like, this, like, uh... I don't want to say not a less celebrity, but she's definitely not the like, kind of like a uh, tabloid sex symbol, um, you know, actress. She's just like solid actress who was in like a lot of, she had a good variety of, you know, films. Like obviously Walk the line, which I, she won. Did she win like an Academy award for that? Um, Walking Phoenix, I think was supposed to get an Academy Award for that. Uh, well, he was nominated, but but he was. I think he was beat out by uh, Reese Witherspoon for playing June Carter Cash. It's a good movie. I, I rewatched it recently, and it's it's a very sweet film. And I am a sucker for like a good like love story, <laughs> or or a song that's just like a good love song, because most shit is just corny and awful and. You know, whatever, but every once in a while you see like a real love story that's just like, oh, that really, that really tugs on the old heartstrings. But Reese Witherspoon, before she did that, and what was it? Fucking, um, what's that fucking movie? Sweet Home Alabama? Is that her? Yeah. And, um, Legally Blonde. (laughs) Like, before she did all that shit, she was in Freeway. And I want to say she was probably. 18 or 19 when she did this movie. So just her level of her acting skill, even at that point was great. And, and she plays opposite, uh, Kiefer Sutherland. And there's a lot of really good actors in this as well. A lot of really good character actors, but, uh, let's see. What is freeway about? Well, we have, uh, Reese Witherspoon and, um, this is definitely her most brutal role. You know what I mean? Maybe besides Pleasantville. If you remember Pleasantville, her and Toby Maguire go into... I think I'm remembering this correctly. Um, they go into a TV show. A black and white, like, 50s TV show. And they're stuck there. And they don't know how to get out. And they, uh... It's basically a world where everything's perfect. But it's also a TV show, so you can't escape. Like, there's no other towns outside Pleasantville. And, um... Basically, Reese Weatherspoon is like a teenager who wants to fuck. <laughs> and she starts like fucking the popular guy who's essentially asexual because he's a TV punk. He's not, you know, no one fucks in 50s TV shows. So it ends up fucking him. And then uh, just through sex alone, she completely perverts this fucking town. And um, everyone starts turning into uh, color. Um, like, I mean, like, color TV, not like everyone starts turning black or something like nothing like that. Um, I know rewatch Pleasantville. It's weird. If you're on a fucking airplane or uh, (laughs) you're home alone and you have, you don't feel like watching anything Um, like you don't want to watch the news. Let's say, okay, here you go. Let's say you're completely burnt out on the news and you're not interested in watching anything about school shootings or Politics or anything like that. But you just you want to watch something sort of devoid of all that. Watch Pleasantville. It's a weird, weird concept for a film. But it's uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. So uh, Reese Witherspoon plays the character Vanessa Lutz. And uh, she's a teenager from a troubled home. Which is, <laughs> that's an understatement. Her mom is a uh, drug addict prostitute who's married to a uh the recently paroled character of Larry who looks like half my friends from high school actually he's like a twigger dude wearing a wife beater, bleached hair and shitty tattoos and um let's see uh Larry smokes meth and tries to feel up on uh Vanessa and um he's a perv total perv yeah you know? and um and they all live in this like shitty motel, and you know, um, earlier on, early in the movie, her mom is uh, she gets busted soliciting prostitution outside of the uh, motel that they all live in, and um, the sheriffs, the sheriffs go in and arrest Larry, who is in the process of diddling Vanessa, who's a minor, by the way. Um, and arrests Vanessa's mom, so her mom and her stepdad both get uh, arrested. And um, the uh, the character of Mrs. Sheets, um, from she's a she's from Child Protective Services, and she comes to take Vanessa off to foster care. And she seems like a nice old lady. And Vanessa suggests that, uh, like, hey, instead of sending me to foster care, why don't I go stay up. Uh, up in Stockton, California, with my grandma. So this movie uh, takes place, at least the beginning takes place, sort of south of Los Angeles. So it's in Southern California. And and Stockton, California, is like way the fuck up north. So, you know, she tells Mrs. She's like, look, I don't want to go into foster care, and there, I don't have any other family, but I have a grandma who doesn't really know. She kind of knows I exist, but, like, we're, we're not really in contact. But I know if I went and went up to her place, she'd let me stay with her, so, Mrs. Um, Sheets is like, oh, fuck, I don't know, I don't, that seems like a long shot, and, anyways, while they're trying to pack up Vanessa's shit, and take her off to foster care, uh, Vanessa handcuffs Mrs. Sheets' ankle to the bed, <laughs> and, uh, takes her car, and, uh, she takes her car, and then she goes to find her boyfriend, named Chopper Wood, Um, by the way, this is a modern retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. Um, so kind of keep that in mind. This is sort of a modern (laughs) Little Red Riding Hood and her boyfriend is named Chopper Wood. Uh, obviously named after the, uh, uh, did he even have a proper name? I don't know. Little Red Riding Hood's like, there's so many different versions from different countries, but there was like the woodsman guy depending on which version you are reading the the woodsman guy is like the guy who um at, like uh, big bad wolf um what was it he eats the grandma eats little red riding hood and then the woodsman comes in and 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 with his axe he cuts open the wolf and saves little red riding hood and her grandma so that's that's definitely not what the character of Chopper Wood in this uh, movie is, but, you know, it's just, that's his name. So, Chopper, uh, Vanessa goes to f- uh, find Chopper, and Chopper's out on the street, because uh, he's a guy of the streets, okay? He's a he's a guy who's on the streets, hustling and wheeling and dealing, okay? Because um, he's hard as fuck, Okay. <laughs> So Chopper is uh is beefing with some uh some Latin gentlemen. Um they're clearly gangbangers, uh probably about some sort of uh street business. So and uh so, you know, uh Vanessa pulls up and she's basically like, uh, yo, I gotta I gotta get the fuck out of town. I'm gonna drive up to Stockton, uh, in the stolen fucking car to go stay with my grandma and Chopper's like, uh, I can't really go I have court soon, and if I'm not there for it, like I'm gonna get sent away, so you're gonna have to go without me. And they say their goodbyes, and uh, Chopper gives her a gun and is like, uh, look, when you get up to Stockton, you could, um, go sell this gun so you can get some money, which makes total sense, especially in Stockton and, uh, especially in the 90s. Stockton was, uh, I grew up in the town next to Stockton, and, um, I had my car stolen. The police found it in Stockton. <laughs> like, there was a lot of gang shit, biker shit, meth lab explosions, drive bys, the whole deal. Um, so they, you know, they, they, they say their goodbyes and they uh, part ways. And, um, you know, she's driving away and she leaves in tears. You know, she's got to leave her boyfriend behind. Actually, they're engaged. They're like teenagers in love and engaged. And then the, uh, right as she leaves you know chopper seems kind of you know he looks he looks up he looks upset you know his lady just had to skip out of town and you know and then um out of nowhere the uh the uh latin street guys come back um is it or is that X? Latinx? latinx is that is that what white people call mexicans now <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the gangbanger guys come back around, and they pull a drive-by on Chopper. They roll by and uh, call him the N-word in Spanish. Chopper turns around, and they fucking shoot him. And then he falls to the ground, and he dies. So so Vanessa hits the freeway, and the um, at some point, uh, Mrs. Sheets... Shitty car um, ends up breaking down on the side of the freeway, and uh, Vanessa's looking under the hood, and the car just looks like it's not, just uh, not going anywhere. So, but then a good Samaritan named Bob Wolverton, played by Kiefer Sutherland, pulls over and and offers to help get the car started, and once they realize that the car is just not going to uh not going to start bob offers her a ride and he says that he's going as far as los angeles and if uh, she'd like he can give her a ride as far as la and she takes him up on the offer and bob seems like a nice enough guy he uh, he's a counselor at a school for troubled boys and he could tell he could tell that vanessa is having some troubles and suggests that she opens up about her problems because that's sort of you know that's the nature of of Bob Wolverton he's he's used to working with uh, young men who have um, similar troubles to you know what Vanessa's kind of going through so um she's reluctant but then she kind of starts to open up and talking about her problems with her uh, her family life and and uh, school and her run-ins with the law, and you could tell that uh, just talking about her troubles seems to uh, it seems to be helping her a little bit. So they're driving for a while, and they stop at a diner and uh, have dinner. And she shows Bob a picture of her father, and who she's never met. But uh, what was it? Her? I think her mom. Her mom's a total tweaker, by the way. <laughs> her mom, who's now in jail, is, uh, explains that, explained to her that, what was it? He worked on a shipping container and died in a knife fight with like a Pakistani sailor or some shit. <laughs> something, something. The dialogue was really quick, but it, it's, it's kind of a throwaway line, but it just sounded really goofy. And, uh, she shows bob a picture of her dad and it's a black and white photo of richard speck and uh if you don't know who richard speck is he's he famously killed eight nursing students in their like home like their dorm uh back in the 60s and uh <laughs> bob looks at the picture and he's like oh he looks very interesting so i thought that was a that was a um that was an interesting choice because they really could have just shown a picture of anybody, but at some point, someone was like, "Hey, how about a picture of Richard Speck?" That would. So during their time together, she started to you know confide in Bob about sexual abuse that she sustained in foster care and uh, physical abuse as well, um, and specifically sexual abuse. That she suffered from her stepdad, Larry. And Bob asked Vanessa... Um, after talking with a while, uh, with her a while... she's He's just like, do I have your total trust? Because I want to try a super advanced black belt level psychological technique on you. And I just want to make sure that you're ready for it. Because I think it'll really help you. And Vanessa's like, oh shit, yeah, totally Bob, like... Like, I don't think I've ever trusted in anyone as much as you, and you know, um, and I, uh, been able to like open up and just talk to you and, uh, feel really good about it. So, sure, you can use your super awesome, uh, fucking <laughs> uh psychological technique on me. And, um, yeah, I'm all for it. Let's, let's do this. And, uh, then he starts asking all these, like, fucked up questions. And, like she's like, like like hey did you did you blow your stepdad and um like did you feel like a human urinal when he came in your mouth like just fucked up shit like that and um, did you fuck your stepdad and did you like it when you fucked your stepdad it was you know fucked up shit like that and um and and by the way and and Kiefer Sutherland by the way is the shit in, the, in this movie like Kiefer Sutherland is consistently a fucking great actor and I love that he just did this random fucking movie this like low budget uh, movie and because he's like Kiefer Sutherland can be like the most terrifying villain or the most passive dopey dude ever like uh, his character in um, David Lynch's Fire Walk With Me it's like it's him and uh, oh What's homeboy? What's the dude's name? Chris Isaac, like Chris Isaac is like the cool fucking FBI guy, and then like Kiefer Sutherland is sort of the kind of nerdy dude with glasses who's sort of his uh, his partner. And uh, I mean, Kiefer Sutherland could have been either one of those characters. Like that's how good of a fucking actor he is, even though he's like five foot two and shit. And of course, he was in Twenty Four as Jack Bauer. You know, fucking. Amazing. Anyways, um, so, (laughs) so fucking Kiefer Sutherland's hitting her with all these fucked up questions and Vanessa's, like, not having any of it. She's like, fuck you. I want out of the fucking car. Pull this shit over right now. And he's like, no, this is all part of the questioning technique that I'm working on, okay? Like, you can't just get out of the car now. She's like, no, fuck you pull this fucking car over. I'm not going to have you ask me all these fucking weird pervy questions. So she tells him to pull over and she's freaks out and begins like yanking on the fucking steering wheel and, and, uh, they pull over and she goes to open the door and the door handle is missing. And Bob, Is holding the door handle and he's like, hey, hey, you looking for this? Which is scary. It's a terrifying thought. It's almost Ted Bundy-like. But it makes no sense. Because if you remember, he picked her up. They go to the diner. And then they had to get back into the car before they took off again. So at some point, she had to use the handle to open the door. And there's... It's probably not likely that he was able to reach across her and like remove the door handle from the inside of the door. Like it doesn't make any fucking sense. But at the at the at the time, if you're you know, (laughs) the first time you watch that, you're like, oh fuck, he's got the door handle. You can't get out. Shit, that's fucked up. You sort of look past that. There's a lot of things in this movie you just have to look past because they just there's not a lot of logic to them. But uh, the movie moves so quick and snappy where you're just like, okay, I can just ignore her and forgive all these sort of like little little things that don't seem to be able to say. Because there's, there's a lot of the humor in this is really, it's a kind of a fucked up sense of humor. It's, it's like when they showed, uh, she showed a picture of Richard Speck as her dad. <laughs> because obviously in the movie, her dad's not Richard Speck. It's just like you look at that and if you recognize it, like the joke isn't for everyone. The joke is for whoever looks at that and goes, "Oh, hey, that's Richard Speck," and you can kind of piece it together in your mind. Oh, he's like, oh, her fucked up tweaker mom, like, found a picture of Richard Speck and was like, oh, he's he's a good looking guy here, and then gives it to her daughter and goes, "Oh, this is this was your father <laughs> that you never met." So, um, <laughs> that so you have to keep that in mind when you watch this because there's a lot of little things like the door handle situation. So. She tries to yank the steering wheel and uh, reach, try to pull the keys out of the ignition. And, you know, they're on the freeway and stuff. So they pull off the road and uh, she, she pulls the keys out of the ignition and he punches her in the face and then grabs her by her hair and pulls out a straight razor. Okay. He has her by her ponytail and he just fucking cuts her fucking ponytail off, which is, that's terrifying. Think about that. If you're a woman, or a guy with really long hair and it was in a ponytail and someone grabbed you by your fucking hair and then fucking just straight razor cut your fucking ponytail off and then held it in front of your face. Like that's kind of scary, you know, because who wants to get all fucking sliced up with a straight razor? That's terrifying. That's some reservoir dog shit. So they established briefly in the beginning of the movie um, that, there's it was like on the news in the background okay they established that there's this killer on the loose in los angeles called the i-5 killer and the i-5 killer was picking up women on the side of the road and murdering them so vanessa puts together pretty quickly that oh she's like bob you're the i-5 killer aren't you you're that one going around killing all the those fucking women and shit and you know we have the whole like why are you doing this scene right because you have to have the victim ask the killer like why are you doing this uh because you know it establishes narrative and <laughs> exposition and stuff it's it's absolutely necessary and there's a few moments like that in the movie and um you know it's a movie you need to have those things right so basically bob's like uh i uh, in the job that he is in cancel uh counseling troubled youth He says he's, um, come to hate what he calls garbage people, alcoholics, drug addicts, criminals, uh, you know, guys who fuck their daughters, shit like that. Makes sense. And it makes sense that he, uh, likes chopping up, you know, young girls and he, uh, Bob has a touch of the, uh, necrophilia as well. He's, he's into that. And, um. So it's, yeah, it's established Bob is the I fight killer. Okay. But I mean, you look at the guy, very Jeffrey Dahmer in his look. You know what I mean? He's, he's like the perfect fucking, uh, mild mannered white dude that you would never suspect going around murdering people. So, you know, he's got her at razor, at razor point. I guess it's not knife point. He's got her at razor point on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, he's like, take your fucking pants off. And, um, You know, she's like, okay, 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 I'll take my pants off. She's like, you got to give me a second. I got to fucking untie my boots before I can slide my pants off, so just give me a second. He's like, hurry the fuck up. And uh, you see her kind of, like, bend over in her seat, and then she pops up and fucking hits him in the face, hits him, like, in the nose, which stuns him long enough for her to jump into the back seat of his, like, SUV, right? And she is able to quickly get into her bag and pull out the gun that Chopper gave her. And now she's behind Kiever Sutherland with a fucking gun to the back of his head. And now Bob is freaking out. He's begging for his life. The tables have turned. Okay. He was trying to mentally fuck with her, toy with her, before he ultimately killed her and fucked her when she was dead. And she's able to fucking, you know, turn the tables on old Bob. So he tries to bargain with her. Says he'll give her money. You know, he's like, I got some money. We can go to an ATM. I'll give you even more money. And then, like, you know, we can just go our separate ways and forget this ever fucking happened. And so they, you know, they start driving. And, uh, you know, has my gunpoint. And at some point, she's like, pull over here. And it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's in the middle of the night. And (laughs) she's like, uh... Bob, do you do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? <laughs> and Bob was like, oh, fuck, that's, that's, that's not good when someone asks you that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, of course I do. <laughs> please, Why did you ask me that? <laughs> you're, you're really scaring me now. And then she's like, yeah, that, that's good. That's good that you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and personal Savior. And then, bam, shoots him in the fucking neck, which was kind of unexpected. 'Cause you know, you you watch movies and people are always like firing guns inside of fucking cars and elevators and and enclosed places. I, I will give Walking Dead, which is eh, it's not a bad TV show, especially the early seasons. Um there's that one scene in uh, Walking Dead where fucking uh with the character of Rick, he's like running through the zombie infested city and he jumps into like a, an abandoned police tank. Uh, And then locks it because zombies are chasing him. But then there's a zombie inside the tank and he shoots the fucking zombie and kills it. But like, he fired a gun inside of a fucking armored tank and just blows out his eardrums. I'm glad they at least acknowledge that because, you know, most movies don't because you can't have, you know, you can't have your, uh, can't have your characters holding their ears. And, you know, every time someone talks, they're like, what? I can't hear you. I shot a gun in a tank recently and I can't hear anything. I have tonight. I have instant tinnitus. So she shoots Bob in the fucking neck while in the car. And you think he's dead, right? He slumps over the steering wheel and then he starts twitching. And then he sits up and he's like gargling blood and he's freaking out. And he opens up the door and starts walking out of the car. And, Vanessa gets out of the car and shoots him twice in the back and then walks up and shoots him point blank in the fucking head. Fuck. And then she rolls him over and robs him, <laughs> takes his money and his cigarettes. Cause you know, I mean, if you're taking someone's money, you might as well take their cigarettes too. Even if you don't smoke, just to let people know what's up. Be like, I didn't just take your money. I took your cigarettes too. Now what? So, She walks uh, to a truck stop. It's like a truck stop diner. Mm, Excuse me, I I had to take a hit of my lovely Balcones pot-stilled bourbon. This is actually the last of it. I just polished off the bottle, and I'm also having it with a a lovely Budweiser in the um, Freedom Let Freedom Ring can with an American flag with an eagle flying across it. <laughs> so Vanessa goes into the truck stop, uh, diner and completely unaware that she's covered in blood. Cause the whole time she's shooting, uh, Bob and, you know, moving him around and rolling over his fucking bloody body and taking his money and shit. She doesn't realize that her whole face and hands are just covered in blood. So she walks into this, brightly lit diner in the middle of the night and she sits down at the counter and she picks up the menu starts reading it and orders off the menu Um, which is funny because they established in the beginning of the movie in a in a scene where she's at school that like she's pretty much illiterate it's like she can't fucking read and um even though she's like you know in high school she's still basically can't fucking read at all. But in this scene, she just strolls into the diner, picks up the menu, reads it. And is like, and then just orders off the fucking menu. So I I was like, oh that's weird. (laughs) I thought you couldn't read all of a sudden you can fucking read anyways. So while she's doing this, um, (laughs) she realizes, uh, you know, the waitress is looking at her like, bro, what the fuck? And she's like, oh shit, I must look a mess. Um, Got a bathroom I can go clean up in. And while she's cleaning all the blood off her in the bathroom, uh, Bob um, is still alive. He didn't die. He didn't fucking die, okay? Shot once in the neck, twice in the back, and then once point blank in the back of the head. Still didn't die. He was able to somehow stumble his way to a hospital. And then um, after that, Vanessa, um, after having a lovely... I'm sure a lovely uh, meal at the diner and uh, getting cleaned up. She is walking out of the diner and then just immediately gets snatched up by the police who are waiting for her. And uh, Bob goes, he, he's, <laughs> and then we cut back to Bob and he stumbles into an ER and, um, and he's fucked up. He's bleeding. He's limping. He's just shot the shit. And uh, we cut to the emergency room where the doctor is standing over, uh, the emergency room doctor standing over Bob, and we're introduced to our two detectives who are investigating this whole thing in the, uh, in the movie. And uh, two detectives. First, we have Detective uh, Garnet Wallace, played by uh, Dan Hedaya, who you will recognize from I mean, he, that dude's been in everything. He's one of those dudes who's just been in everything. Uh, what was it? He was a uh, he was in the movie Clueless. He was he was Cher's dad, Alicia Silverstone's character. It was uh, her dad in Clueless. Yeah, that guy. Uh, so he's Detective Wallace, and then there's uh, Detective Mike Greer, who you'll recognize from he was in a few Good Men. Okay, uh, so. So a few good men: Tom Cruise and Demi Moore and uh, that other dude. Um, they are defending two Marines who may or may not have purposefully or accidentally killed another Marine. Um, so the two Marines that are you know being defended by Tom Cruise is uh this white dude who was in this like movie called. Gladiator, not Russell Crowe Gladiator. There was another one. It was something about like underground boxing or some shit. It was like that that dude. And then uh, there was another Marine who was like this black dude. And that black dude is Mike Greer, Detective Mike Greer in this movie. So those are our two detectives in this movie. There's Detective Wallace and Greer. And, they are, and they're standing over Bob. And Bob's like screaming and begging for morphine and shit. And the ER doctor says... Um. Yeah, um <laughs> he's he's like, oh uh, yes, uh, Mr. Wolverton just uh, received the the news that he's gonna need a radical colectomy, <laughs> and Detective Wallace is like, ooh, that's a shame. <laughs> and a, and a colectomy is basically a, a it's basically when you get your entire colon removed, and like a part like a big part of your digestive system. So. Um, basically the downside of that is you basically have to like, uh, shit into a cloth to be for the rest of your life. But <laughs> in, in context, it was, it was very funny with the scene of the, of the movie. Also, this movie's very funny. I mean, <laughs> so far it seems very bleak. I understand, but, um, everything's kind of played for laughs. You know, there's like this kind of uh, all, every time they bring up like being molested or, Fucking, you know, necrophilia. Like, all this shit that's obviously very horrifying. Like, it's in context. Um, it's, it, it's sort of to villainize the villains. So that when something bad happens to the villains, they can sort of insert some funny dialogue and slapstick shit. So you're like, good, I'm glad fucking Kiefer Sutherland got shot a whole bunch of times. Um, or maybe not. You know, maybe you're not into vigilante justice. So you know. So yeah, uh, radical colectomy. Um, so Bob looks. You know what he looks like. He's he's laying on the uh, emergency room table, and his head's all wrapped in his entire head's wrapped in gauze, and it's all it's all bloody and stuff. He looks like the cover, the front cover of the movie Tumbling Doll of Flesh. Only worse for all of you fans of Tumbling Doll of Flesh. (laughs) So uh, while he's laying there, um, Detective Wallace is like, (laughs) Mr. Wolverton, I understand that you're in a great deal of pain right now. He's been shot. What? uh, He's been shot four times. I understand you're in a great deal of pain, but I need you to look at a photo and tell me if this is the person who shot you. And he shows him this photo of Vanessa. And it's like a, probably a school photo or something like that. And it's a picture of Reese Witherspoon, like smiling, like posing for like a school picture, smiling, like with like her tongue out, like, (laughs) and the fucking picture is so hilarious. (laughs) And, um, So he, he positively IDs Vanessa. So that's not good. (laughs) So so now, um, so now from the perspective of what's currently going on, this troubled teenager stole her like social workers. uh, I don't know. I guess social worker, I guess that's the right term for it. Stole her fucking car. And then got a ride with a innocent, good Samaritan and ended up shooting him a whole bunch of times and then robbing him. And she's got a uh, unregistered gun on her person because she got that gun from Chopper. So, so far, it's not looking good for, uh, for Vanessa. She's, you know. Because obviously the part about uh, Bob being the I-5 killer and trying to uh, kill her and fuck her dead body and and, uh, torture her, that hasn't come to light yet. So after this, we're introduced outside the emergency room to Miss Bob Wolverton. And by the way, in case you haven't noticed, his last name is Wolverton. Like Wolf, like the Big Bad Wolf. (laughs) From Little Red Riding Hood. So, we're introduced to uh, introduced to Mrs. Bob Wolverton, uh, played by Brooke Shields. And Brooke Shields is, um, plays the character of Mimi Wolverton. And she has no idea her dad, or, or dad. Uh, her husband is a serial killer, and is a total perv, and is incredibly dangerous. She has no idea. She's, uh, as far as she knows, her husband's a good man who was... Uh, brutally attacked by some demented teenager. So she's, and Brooke Shields turns in a pretty good uh, performance in this. She's just like, I can't believe this happened to my husband. You know, you need to find the person who did this. And uh, Detective Wallace and uh, tells her, like, look, like the person who did this was a minor. And, you know, if she gets charged as a minor, like, she'll be out by the time she's 25. And Mimi's like, what the fuck? This this bitch will be out in, like, ten years or less because, you know, she fucking shot my husband in the fucking head and in the back a bunch of times and robbed him? Like, this, she's understandably very upset with the situations. But, you know, Detective Wallace and Greer have to, you know, keep her in the loop of what's going on. So Detective uh, Wallace and Greer uh, sit down with Vanessa and... They start to interview her, and basically, they want her to like talk to us about your criminal past, just so we can understand who you are. And she explains her criminal history of um, mostly shoplifting, arson, and um, soliciting prostitution. Mm. Now, Detective Greer. <laughs> So I, I, I should probably bring up bring up this this next part because uh, it's it's very much like I don't want to say so much that this scene is of its time, but it's definitely a scene that probably wouldn't be uh, in a modern day version <laughs> of this. So Detective Greer is a black man, as I explained earlier. Okay, and this is a very Un-Reese Witherspoon-like performance. So when Detective Greer and uh, Detective Wallace, they're asking her, like, tell us about your criminal history. Like, tell us everything. And when she brings up prostitution, you can tell she has some shame behind that. And Detective Greer asks her, uh, oh, well, I guess prostitution comes naturally, given your mother and your upbringing and stuff. And fucking Reese Witherspoon fucking loses it. And, uh, well, this, <laughs> this is what the scene sounds like. Soliciting. Just doing what came natural, huh? Hey, Mike. What's that supposed to mean? Let's get back to the questions. No, uh-uh. What's that supposed to mean? Well, you think prostitution comes natural like being a Called a natural born horse, Sit there Sit down. No! He's talking to me the way that fucking guy did. Is that why you shot him, or was it because you wanted what was in his wallet? I already told you why I shot him, you fucking <laughs> motherfucker! <laughs> Mine, you, fucking! <laughs> I'll kick your black ass all over this fucking station, shithead. Okay, Mike. Yeah. So she uh she ends up slapping uh detective Greer with the uh with the old uh, left right then uh hits him over the head with a folding a metal folding chair. <laughs> so we establish that like Vanessa's got some fight in her and um more or less can handle her own physically and after this Vanessa um Gets news because she was basically she told the detectives, look, I'll talk to you, but you have to let me call my fiance. So after after the interview, which uh, didn't have maybe the best results. uh, She calls. You don't really know who she called, but she uh, probably Chopper's family. I don't know. And calls. But she gets news that like chopper is dead. So she knows that he got gunned down earlier. So after that, she gets hauled off to, uh, I guess, a juvenile girl prison where we meet the character of Rhonda, and Rhonda, played by the late Brittany Murphy, rest in peace, in the tradition of uh, playing awkward, crazy girls, um, that was kind of Brittany Murphy's thing, right, Uh, Rhonda is... Ronda plays the character that uh, the uh, our protagonist needs to talk to while in prison. This is like in every prison movie. It's in um, Escape from Alcatraz, Shawshank Redemption, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's probably in Ernest Goes to Jail. I don't know. Uh, but there, you need to have somebody for the main character to express what is going on in their head and what's going on with their current situation. They need that person there so that they can f- deliver exposition. <laughs> so that's who Brittany Murphy's character is. And, um, immediately Vanessa gets into a fight with a, uh, with a uh, Latin ex girl. Um, I believe we used to call those, uh, Mexicans. Okay. Um, because I, uh, I come from a Mexican background and we used to just call ourselves Mexicans because we were Mexican. But uh, nowadays, you're Latinx or Latinx. So this Latinx chola girl rolls up on Vanessa and is wants to, I don't know, probably start some shit. And then um, <laughs> Vanessa ends up fucking that girl up and gets set to solitary confinement. And there she fashions a, a uh, ingenious slashing device um, out of a toothbrush uh, wrapped in plastic wrap that she is melted with a lighter. And then she then um, uh, hones an edge out of the uh, out of the this this new plastic uh, implement <laughs> to basically make like a like a razor on a stick. So now she's got herself a nice handy weapon and she's going to use this weapon um, to escape. So cause she's already, <laughs> she's been in there like five minutes. She's already like, I'm over this fucking place. I'm, I'm going to fucking escape. Detective Wallace and Greer. Um, there's a scene where they are interviewing their uh, Vanessa's classmates and friends. And they, they basically, um, and I like that there's the uh, Wallace and Greer characters in this movie because it's it, it it helps move the story along in the way that like Vanessa is, you know, still trying to get to her grandma's house, but like, <laughs> you know, she 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 hits some stumbling blocks along the way. But along the way, she's also committing all these fucking crimes. Which you have these detectives who are trying to piece together uh, Vanessa's timeline and investigate all these murders. And so when they go to talk to uh, Vanessa's classmates and friends. And um, we get like the most inspirational uh, camel toes scene of my childhood, at least. And if you know what the camel toe scene that I'm referring to, if you've seen it, you know it. Okay. And this movie came out when I was, uh, 15, 16. So, you know, this is pre free internet on the internet, you know, free porn on the internet rather. Um, so movies like this were, uh, incredibly inspirational and having a pause button on your VCR as well. So, um the uh, detectives find that something is up after talking to their, uh, Vanessa's friends, something is up. And from what they've gathered, Vanessa has no history of violence. And it just seems that the, what she's being, um, you know, the, the, the attempted murder of Bob Wolverton, like, it doesn't seem like something that even though she's kind of a fucked up kid it just doesn't seem like something that fits the profile so they also discover during this interview at this you know with the classmates at school that um uh her fiance chopper was black so detective greer is like Oh, that whole scene where she uh, called me the N word a thousand (laughs) times—like it was just to make me mad. Like she doesn't hate black people because her fiance is black. Like she's—it's basically like, oh, this girl knows how to fucking manipulate people and knows how to fucking push buttons. But at the core of this, she was in in an exclusive relationship with this black kid, and the fact that she. They know that she knows that Chopper's been murdered. Is murdered is probably not helping the situation along. So Greer's like, interesting. She's a coal burner. And Wallace is like, what's a coal burner? And he's like, it, it means that her boyfriend's black. And then it's right then where Greer's like, you know what? I'm gonna go back to the crime scene where Bob Wolverton got shot. And Wallace is like, why? Like, it's two hours away. And Greer's like, I just got a fucking feeling, right? So Greer insists on going back to the crime scene where where she shot Bob. And Greer discovers Vanessa's ponytail that Bob sliced off, right? It was just discarded in the fucking bushes at the crime scene. Like, she said, like, oh, he fucking cut off my hair and shit like that. But it's like, how do you even fucking prove that, you know? But fucking Greer goes back, finds the fucking ponytail, and then he starts to think that maybe her story about Bob being the I-5 killer and saying all this fucked up shit to her, saying he's going to kill her, cut her up, fuck her dead body, all the day, And essentially confessing that he is the I-5 killer, like, Bob might be the I-5 killer, and then there might be some validity to her story. Because up to this point... There's, they just, they don't take anything that Vanessa says seriously. They're like she, she's some fucked up kid who's basing on a fucking crime spree that ended in her fucking, you know, shooting a fucking guy almost to death and robbing him. So that you know, that's kind of where investigative, it's investigative wise, that's where they think it's at. But Greer's like, no, no, there's something more to this. Because it just doesn't seem like she's some kind of cold-blooded killer on a rampage. There's something more to this. Like, Obviously, she's trying to evade detection, but there's more to this story than, than meets the eye. So after this, we jump to Vanessa's escape, right? So for some reason, <laughs> they're at a gas station with a bunch of the other prisoners, uh, some of the, uh, the other prisoner girls, including the uh, the chola chick that she beat up earlier in the movie. Which makes, you know, um, doesn't fucking make any sense. But anyways, they they stop at a gas station, and and they're basically stopping to pee. You know, uh, so Vanessa attacks the one and only guard with her uh, toothbrush razor, fucks him up, takes his keys. The uh, the Chola chick named um, Mosquita Mosquita fucking ends up strangling the head matron lady that was accompanying them ends up strangling her to death and then stomping her out in the bathroom and uh, they escape. And like I said, this whole scene, you know, it makes sense in that you need to see Vanessa escape, but also makes no sense in that. Like before the scene, Vanessa is at her arraignment and they set all this up. where like, They needed to have an arraignment where they were going to decide if Vanessa was going to be charged as an adult, right? And fucking Bob Wolverton and fucking Brooke Shields are there. And Bob Wolverton's all fucked up. It's great. Kiefer Sutherland's makeup hes like, the makeup that they did on him is fucking great. It's like, it's almost on a level of like, if you've seen the movie Hannibal, and people shit on Hannibal. And those people need to suck my dick because fucking Gary Oldman is in that movie. And fucking Ray Liotta is in that movie, okay? And I'm not going to let people speak ill of the dead. And Ray Liotta is good in that movie. I like Hannibal. Anyways, Gary Oldman is basically like horribly disfigured because he's like the only surviving victim of Hannibal Lecter, okay? Keeper Sutherland in this movie, he's all fucking mangled because he got shot in the neck, and the back of the head and stuff. So he's wearing like one of those like metal like head halo things that basically hold your neck straight. And his mouth is all fucking deformed. Like his fucking mouth is sort of... His lip is sort of like puffed out. Like his fucking cheeks are filled with fucking acorns. And his teeth are all fucking exposed. And he's drooling. And he's talking out of a voice box in his neck. Horrifying. <laughs> but, it's, but it's also pretty funny. There's a whole... At the arraignment scene... <laughs> can Vanessa, like Vanessa can't even fucking believe that he's alive. Like she's about like I definitely killed him. And when the detectives are like, "Oh yeah, you didn't kill him." She's like, "Yeah, right. I shot that dude so many times." But when he gets rolled in in a wheelchair to the fucking courtroom, this the scene of her like, "Oh shit." She's like, "Look who got hit with the ugly stick." It's <laughs> It's very funny. So but, you know, we needed to have the scene where we see fucking Vanessa get, uh, escape. But also the scene itself is kind of doesn't make any sense because right after the arraignment scene, you know, the, the van pulls up and there's all the, it's like, what were the other girls doing there? Like she had to be transported in a van with a guard and the matron lady from the fucking like girl prison, you know, so she can go to court and then get, you know, brought back to the fucking prison but what were the other girls doing there? It's not like they had court dates too. I don't know. It didn't make any sense. It made sense in that like uh uh Mosquita, the, the Cholo chick, like the two of them escaped together, but leading up to it, you're just like, why are all these girls accompanying fucking Vanessa to court? It doesn't make any fucking sense anyways. But again, that's one of those things that you may not think about at the time, but it, you know, if you watch this movie a couple of times, you're like, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense. But at least the way the movie, the flow of the movie, you don't even think about it. But I think about it because I watched this movie fucking, you know, almost 30 years ago. So whatever. So, <laughs> so Mosquita M- M- kills the head matron. Vanessa fucking almost kills the guard. She fucking like slashes the shit out of him and says, give me your fucking keys for a cut. For a cut. your pick her off. And then they get in the, fucking, uh, in the fucking van and they fucking escape. So they escape and then later they meet up with Mosquita's boyfriend who is, <laughs> if you've seen the movie Half-Baked, and who hasn't seen Half-Baked? If you've seen the movie Freeway, you've seen Half-Baked, okay? That's just the reality of the situation. So the character of Scarface and Half-Baked, that guy, um, you know fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, and I'm out, that guy. Um, He plays Mosquita's boyfriend. And he, him and his homies meet up with her because she's like, hey, I escaped from prison, come meet me somewhere. <laughs> so they meet up, and um, Mosquita and Vanessa, even though they had a rocky start, uh, you know, they kind of, like, made peace with each other which is weird because it's like, how long was Vanessa in jail? And at the most she would, they were in there. She was in there like, I don't know, a couple months, two, three months, maybe now her and Mosquita are like homies. I don't know. I always thought that was kind of weird. The timeline in this movie is weird. It kind of like gets a little crazy. Uh, but so uh, Mosquito's boyfriend, Scarface uh, gives Vanessa the keys to a stolen car. And, um, gives her a gun. A quitte! Will Squeater gonna give her my quitte? Yeah. Um, gives her a gun. And, uh, just kind of wish her good luck. <laughs> so, we jump to our detectives. And they go to Bob and Mimi Wolverton's house. And they live in a big, nice fucking house. Probably in a very predominantly white neighborhood. And... This is after Detective Greer was like, yo, there's something to this Bob Wolverton guy. He may not be the fucking victim that everyone thinks he is. So they end up getting a warrant to go search the Wolverton household. Now, Bob Wolverton's not there. Mimi's like, yeah, he went to fucking physical therapy. He's not here. So they show up and they're like, we got a search warrant. We're searching your house. So, they're the house and in the back of the house, like in the backyard, there's a shed. And when, uh, you know, she's like, I oh, don't know, that's that's the shed. My hu- only my husband goes in there and it's locked. I don't know. I don't I don't have keys to it. So so they they cut the lock off and all the evidence that Bob was the I five killer is in that shed. So we got Polaroids of fucking victims, probably dead and alive. We have a uh, bondage gear. We have fucking underage pornography. We have tons of cheese pizza and that fucking thing. Uh, <laughs> with, uh, there was one magazine, uh, that had, uh, a <laughs> that was titled <laughs> cock sucking toddlers. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not funny. Um, <laughs> cock sucking toddlers. Okay, so as well as, uh, well, Detective Wallace was like, we've also found human remains in there. Oh, shit, so the, the fucking jig is up, Bob Wolverton. The cops have found your little fucking uh, torture rape shed in the back of your house, and they got all the evidence they need to put him away. So, uh, distraught by this news, uh <laughs> Brooke Shields, uh, Mimi uh, runs up, runs upstairs to the bathroom, and you just hear a single gunshot. And the cops run up there, and fuck, Mimi shot herself in the fucking head, killed herself. So right at this time, uh, Bob Warburton uh, is pulling up to the house to find that that his whole the whole front of his house is surrounded by cops, and if it, it happens really quick, but if you if you pause it, you can see that the cops are like in the driveway and they're actually looking at some of the porn mags, which is both funny and disturbing. (laughs) Could you imagine that if your next door neighbor, if your next door neighbor's house was surrounded by police and you looked out your window and you saw police officers in the driveway of your neighbor's, um, in front of your neighbor's house, um, like holding open a magazine, looking at the centerfold from the magazine, cock sucking toddlers. (laughs) Now that may not sound funny, but um, in context to this movie, it's hilarious. And you can miss it if you're not paying attention. So, um, so Bob sees all these fucking cops and he's like, "Mm, that's not good. So Bob just fucking dips out. Bob takes off. Now he's on the fucking run. So Vanessa is, uh, we don't know exactly know where she is, but she's probably somewhere relatively close to, um, Stockton because she's still trying to get to her grandma's house because, you know, it's a little red riding hood story. Okay. So, um, so she poses as a prostitute and, uh, some guy picks her up and this unsuspecting John gets fucking carjacked by Vanessa and then uh, it's funny because he was like, he's like, we suck my dick. She's like, sure. And he's like, I got $25. She's like, well, great. That's good. So they pull into a fucking alley. And then she fucking pulls a gun on him and she says, give me all your fucking money. She had no intention, intention of blowing this guy. So give me your fucking money. And he gives her, she's like, here, here's my wallet. She opens it and there's $5 in it. She's like, where the fuck is the rest of it? And he's like, that's all I have. <laughs> She's like, motherfucker, you're going to only give me $5 to suck your dick? Not cool, man. So she carjacks him, and she's pissed. So she fucking throws him in the trunk of the car with no pants on. And then uh, she, you know, well, she needs the car, obviously. So she takes the car up to Stockton because, come hell or high water, Vanessa's going to go see her grandma. So somehow, and they establish this early in the movie, in Vanessa's wallet where she has a picture of her dad, Richard Speck, there's also a photo of her grandma. Which is risky because it's like, is that your grandma or did your fucking crazy mom just give you a photo of an old lady and go, oh, here's your mom. And it's like a fucking picture of Betty White or some shit. But she has this photo and on the back of it, there's an address for her place in Stockton. And I've paused the movie and looked at the address. And it's it's funny. The actual address itself is actually in Stockton, California. But it's not a trailer park. It's like just a regular neighborhood. And the... or was it? The, uh, the area code is actually for San Francisco. So, obviously, it's a fictitious address and stuff. But I just had to look it up and see if it was actually a real place. And it's not really a real place, but... So Bob has this fucking I don't know even know how he got the photo. He has the photo that was in her wallet and I don't even know how he fucking got a hold of it, but somehow he got it out of her wallet and he had it on he had it with him and he has the grandma's fucking address on the back of it. So he's like, "Okay, well she's definitely going to go to her grandma's. I'm going to fucking go there too because I know that's where she's going to go." And she can't go to the police. And I can't go to the police. So I'm going to go there and I'm going to get that bitch. And he has to be somewhere in and around Los Angeles. So Los Angeles to Stockton, California is like six hours. It's like a six hour fucking drive. Like five and a half if you're just going like a hundred the whole way there. There's no way he would have been able to get to Stockton to her grandma's house before her. There's just no way he would have got there before Vanessa. But for the sake of the story and about this time in the movie, the movie really starts to pick up like, like they're sprinting to the end. So Vanessa gets to the trailer part and she just walks into her grandma's house. Mind you fucking Vanessa has never even met her grandma. (laughs) Like, Like her grandma, like, I I think knows that she exists, but she just shows up and is like, walks into her house and is like, grandma, I'm here. Where are you? I'm here. I'm your granddaughter and I'm here to take care of you forever and ever and ever. And, um, she finds grandma in bed, it's trailer. So she's, you know, her bed is basically in her living room and grandma's underneath the covers with like a shower cap on and blankets pulled up to her face. And, And Vanessa uh, comes up to her and goes, it's me, it's me, Vanessa, your granddaughter. I'm, I'm here to take care of you. And, and then she's like, Oh my God, grandma, what big fucking teeth you have. And pulls back the covers and it's fucking Bob dressed as grandma in the bed. Another little red riding hood reference. So, Bob jumps out of bed and he's got a gun and he's like, I got you now, bitch. You know, but he has a voice box. So it's low bitch." And she's like, what'd you do with my fucking grandma? And he's like, this is what I did to your grandma. And in the corner of the room is grandma naked and dead. And her face is like, <laughs> like she died screaming like, ah, and she's got a fucking noose around her neck. And she's like, what the fuck? You killed my grandma. And he's like, that's not all I did to your grandma. So not only did Bob get there before Vanessa, but he had time to kill and fuck her dead grandma and then get into her moo-moo and shower cap and jump into bed and wait for Vanessa to get there. Sure, why not? Also, when Vanessa came into the trailer, like you didn't notice a dead, old, naked woman laying on the floor with a noose around her neck? You didn't notice that? Okay, whatever. So Bob thinks he has the fucking drop on Vanessa, but then Vanessa fights back. Even with a gun, Vanessa is able to overpower Bob. They fight and they struggle. And she ends up fucking getting on top of Bob, wrapping something around his neck, some type of ligature, and then strangles him to death. And... In the middle of this struggle, Bob's just firing bullets wildly throughout the fucking room. And this alerts our detectives, Wallace and Greer, who are pulling into the trailer park right at that moment. Another lapse of logic, (laughs) because it's like, how did they know for sure to even go there? And it doesn't make sense that fucking Bob would have got there before Vanessa, but it definitely wouldn't make any fucking sense that the fucking detective Wallace and Greer would have got there right, like right as Vanessa was getting there. Like, but whatever, you know, the movie has to end somehow. So (laughs) by the, so they hear the gunshots, they run to the trailer. And by the time they get there, Vanessa already strangled Bob to death and is walking out of the fucking trailer. They run inside. They see Bob Wolverton and a dead on the ground And Vanessa's grandma dead on the ground. Raped, naked, and dead. And so now, it's like, Bob Wolverton's dead. Mimi Wolverton committed suicide. And now they have fucking Vanessa there. So who knows what happens to her? Does she get off? Does she have to go back and fucking, you know, face the music and go to fucking trial for this fucking fucking murder who knows we do, we don't know all know she comes out her fucking mascara is all smeared and shit and she sits down outside the trailer the detectives come over to her and she's just like y'all got a cigarette and then they just laugh like oh Vanessa like you, you rascal <laughs> then they all have a good laugh. And then Freeze Frame, Fades to Black, credits. That's the end of the fucking movie. And that was Freeway from 1996. And I really liked the movie a lot. That movie came around at a time when I was really starting to get into movies. And um, I knew at that age, like even then, I was... I watched all the fucking, you know, mainstream movies. But I was like really into like fucked up direct-to-video Made for TV movies, fucking straight to HBO. Cinemax late at night, <laughs> like like I liked weird, fucked up movies that just didn't have mass appeal. Not that I didn't like, you know, mainstream movies or anything, but like lower budgeted movies, especially ones that had good actors in it, like Kevin Sutherland and Reese Witherspoon, and like like. I liked all that shit, too. And and those actors did a lot of those movies. Like, like, movies that just weren't really in theaters, you know? And, you know, this movie just came around at the uh, right time for me. Because around this time, I was, you know, what was it? Fucking 1996. So, you know, what was I watching at that time? I was, I was getting really beefed up on Stanley Kubrick movies. And um, I saw kids for the first time around this time. And, you know... Was that I? Around this time, uh, I think Akira came out on VHS, and that was a big deal. It's just, you know, it was just around that time. And pro wrestling at that time was the shit. It was a great time to be a fucking kid. Like watching TV, going to the movie store, fucking brilliant, amazing fucking time. So that was Freeway. I definitely recommend it. I like it a lot. And I haven't watched it in a while until I did this episode. And I'm glad I did because uh, I got all kind of great nostalgic feelings so freeway check it out i'm gonna take a pull of my beer in my whiskey right now because mm, it's warm in here i don't the the ac is perfect in the rest of the house but inside the actual fucking Skeleton Factory studio, <laughs> the AC isn't great in here. So it gets warm really quick. I'm glad I don't have co hosts and guests and shit. Fuck. Be a fucking sweat box in here. And I need to hit this whiskey before I talk about this next movie. Jesus Christ. Our next movie, 2020's Love Dump. Brought to us by the good people at a Baroque house productions and a Baroque house, not broke house, Baroque house makes a, let's call it pretty extreme low budget independent cinema (laughs) stuff that will never be streaming ever anywhere. Let's put it that way. I had to rent this on Vimeo. Also, a Baroque house sells their movies on, um, on Blu-ray. So you can rather get it on Blu-ray or buy it on Vimeo. And that's pretty much the only place you're ever going to see a Baroque house film. But I, um, uh, you know, I, I respect independent filmmakers that are doing like extreme cinema. You know, I think, especially nowadays, it's, it, it's, As important as any other time, you know, regardless, you know, and there's varying levels of quality to some of these movies, but I'm, I'm glad that they're being made. I'm glad someone out there is kind of pushing the limits and especially at a time where Disney's going to fucking own everything in a few years and everything is so fucking sanitized. So love dump 2020. 2020. Written and directed by Sam Hell. (laughs) A one name name. Sam Hell. S-A-M-H-E-L. One L. Sam Hell. Starring Wolvie Iron Bear. And the movie is rated X. So when I said, like, you're not going to find this anywhere. It's not like you're not going to find it anywhere. And it's rated. I mean, this is rated X. Okay. There is. Nudity, there is sexual penetration, there is gore, there's there's all of it. It's all in here. Now this is a fairly short film. It's it's you know it's under forty minutes long. It's very short. Uh, so, love dump, and I'll, I will just read you the description from the um, the Vimeo profile where a baroque house. Has their all their movies on okay? This is the description on the website. A serial killer and necrophiliac hide out in Los Angeles, California. During their hideout, it becomes clear that their urges come to the surface. <sighs> Just so you know, that's not a serial killer and a necrophiliac it's a serial killer who's also a necrophiliac okay it's they're talking about one person in this description are hiding in los angeles during their and i'm i'm assuming they're they're choosing the word there because our killer in this movie and there's a killer in this movie by the way (laughs) i guess this movie can be classified as a horror film Our killer in this movie is a trans woman. So I I am assuming that's why they are referred to as during their hideout. It becomes clear that their urges come to the surface. Okay? So I know this episode is about women who kill people. But during today's era, (laughs) during today, uh, uh, there is uh, in society and anyone who's listening to this like 100 years from now or whenever fucking time machines get made and people go to the past um there is a t- we live in a time now where the uh definition <laughs> the definition of what a woman is has expanded into the sort of uh there is it, it there it's a spectrum okay and um i figured because of that, uh, I, 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 f- I feel that a movie with a transgendered woman is fitting for a movie about women who kill. okay in case anyone out there is confused why I included this movie. Also, I love variety of film, you know I could I could have brought up in this episode obvious movies. okay, I understand that. I could have talked about Monster with Charlize Theron. Wonderful movie. I enjoy Monster very much. It's one of the best. uh, eh, I'd say it's one of the best movies about a serial killer ever. You know, the best serial killer movie ever is is Zodiac. But the movie isn't about Zodiac. Um, Monster is about Eileen Wornos, And, you know. And Charlize Theron does an amazing job. Christina Ricci's in that. She does an amazing job. And it's a great movie. And I think Catherine Bigelow directed it. I think. Am I wrong? I don't know. If I'm wrong, uh, don't contact me and tell me how fucking stupid I am. I already know how stupid I am. But also, uh, oh no, no. Patty Jenkins directed a uh, monster. Why Why was I doing, I don't know. I must've been thinking of point break <laughs> anyways. It's besides the point. Um, Love dump. Let's get it. We're getting off track. Let's get into love dump. Okay. So we open with the character of Denise Holmes, who's played by Wolvie iron bear. And Denise Holmes is coming out of a uh, subway train station, uh, presumably in Los Angeles, and is just arriving and walking onto the streets of Hollywood And the text on the screen says on August 1st, 2003 detective Jamie Reams is given the task to find clues and motives on an active serial killer. The audio you are about to hear is read by detective James Reams taken from the notebook and voice recorder found at the last known location of serial killer cannibal and necrophiliac denise holmes so that's what we get on the screen so so then we get uh july 13th 2003 um so denise is moving uh so it looks like she's moving north after having killed a 19 year old boy in san pedro california so now she's moving up north to los angeles and um in San Pedro, California, which is right near the beautiful, uh, Trump national golf club. For All you golf fans out there and Donald Trump fans. Um, so Denise gets a hotel room in LA where the, the rest of the movie will take place. <laughs> so, and it's not a particularly nice hotel either. So, um, so she, Denise gets a hotel and, Um, it's revealed that Denise, who is a tall, thin sort of, uh, goth chick, a goth looking chick is in fact, uh, like I said before, a transgendered woman, when she takes off her clothes, she, you, and you, you don't know that she was born a male until she takes off all of her clothes to reveal an erect penis. So, it's sort of like the end of the crying game, but in the first like two minutes of this movie. So, Denise crawls onto the bed and masturbates. And as she's masturbating, flashes of blood and gore blink in and out uh, on the screen. And the blood and gore, is, it's not clear exactly where or when and who it belongs to, but it's no doubt past victims of Denise. So Denise climaxes. Uh, It's inferred. It's not shown, which I was like, what kind of rated R movie is this? Like if I'm going to watch some transgender chick jerk off. I at least want to see her come, you know, not that I'm into transgender porn or anything like that, but I'm like, I'm like, you're going to show someone jerking off, butt naked on a bed and then just suggests that they came without showing them coming. I don't know. It's, that's strange to me, <laughs> so then we get on the screen, July fourteenth, two thousand three. Denise looks like um. Well, we get this, uh, Denise looks like if Marilyn Manson and Davey Haddock, Havoc had like a butt baby. That's that's what Denise Havoc looks like, and not even not even to say that Denise Havoc looks bad. Like if I seen Denise Havoc. At like a goth club or something, and I was I'd be like, oh, that's a that's a that's a cute goth chick, you know, uh, <laughs> but has that sort of androgynous look to her, you know. So, so the also, <laughs> I just I, like I know. Also, there's a lot of build up to this movie, like the warnings that are on the screen before the movie even starts. It's like X rated if you like everyone in this film is 21 years of older or older, and this has been confirmed before filming began and everything you're about to see is, is not real. And you're, you're going to see nudity. And it's, it's like they, it's all of that shit to kind of prime you like, Oh, I'm going to see something fucked up. The last five minutes of the Marilyn Manson dead to the world video is more disturbing than this movie. And I know that's kind of a, what a random reference, but, uh, I don't know. Just randomly in the news, I heard somewhere that fucking Marilyn Manson was getting canceled. I don't know what he did. I don't know. You know, did somebody accused him of something? Like, did he do it? I don't know. (laughs) I don't want to speculate. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. not But, um, so right when it was getting canceled, there was like the, like, and I remember hearing this when I was in high school, but I was like, I don't know, whatever, but it just got re brought up recently. Uh, let's see. Um, so the Maryland, the Maryland Manson made this, this video that was supposed to be like a live music video, but it was really just a live concert on video. And it was called uh, dead to the world. Cause that's the name of the, I think the name of the tour that that video was supposed to be taking. It was during the anti-Christ superstar album. I mean, it was, it was called the dead to the world tour and very clever, very clever plan words there. So at the end of it, there's like completely unclear grainy footage. And you hear a woman that sounds like a woman is being, um, uh, you know possibly tortured you know berated verbally by Marilyn Manson but you don't really see anything and the kind of the the word on the street was that um, that was a clip taken from a movie that a movie it was basically a home movie um, that was um, just referred to as groupie and groupie was never released okay because the story is that this video called Release, uh, called Groupie, was never released because it depicts Marilyn Manson torturing a woman, doing sexual weird shit to her, and assaulting her physically. Uh, you know, with weapons, <laughs> with... Blunt objects and uh, even making her drink urine. That was the story, right? And um, I actually looked into this because I was like, okay, if this movie exists, it has to be somewhere, right? So I looked into it and uh, anyone who's ever heard anything about this or if this even sounds a little familiar to you, let me just tell you right now. The uh, groupie Marilyn Manson video where he's torturing women is most likely fake. Sorry, assholes. <laughs> it's not the groupie movie is not real. Um and this has been corroborated by at least the woman who was in the video. Um it's not it was it was basically footage taken from a party that Marilyn Manson had that was totally a crazy fucking party, but um this whole Situation with this woman was um, staged and preplanned with the woman basically to fuck with his uh, his party guest. So that's kind of the gist of it. So anyone who's, you know, heard about Marilyn Manson having some fucking to- woman torture video, it's it's probably it's just fucking uh, rumor and innuendo to hype up his image at the time because he was so edgy and scary and shit. So, Yeah. Groupie, groupie video, not real. Uh, I mean, in, until maybe it comes out someday and we find out it is real. But as far as I know, it's fake. So, anyways. We now jump to the uh, the bathroom scene, okay? We jump back to the bathroom scene where uh, Denise is now donning a uh, black leather gimp mask. Like a black leather bondage mask. Gimp mask, right? So and in, in the bathtub, uh, Denise gets into the bathtub where there is a plastic bag containing blood and a rubber pig head mask. And, uh, reaches in the bag and starts rubbing blood on, all over herself, and Denise uses the um, pig face mask to masturbate. So it's like holding the pig mask in her hand and jerking herself off with it, and uh, sticking her dick through the mouth hole and things. So I'm not sure if the mask is supposed to be a real pig face. Um. It's not, by the way, obviously. I've actually, I used to have a job where I would cut the face um, off of pigs. They're dead. I wasn't doing it on live animals. Okay, I'm not a monster. But I worked at this USDA um, butcher plant where um, part of the job was to remove the face off of a pig with the tongue. And then we would make what's called porchetta with it. And porchetta comes in nowadays porchetta comes in a variety of forms. Some people make it out of pork belly and um, other things, but really porchetta is the you have to cut the face off a pig like it's a mass, so that you have skin, you have meat, and you have fat, and then you stick the you cut the tongue out and you put it inside with some garlic, some rosemary. And then you put a little curing salt and then you wrap the whole thing up, you roll it up and then you stick it in a, in a, in a vacuum sealable bag and you seal it to, you know, compress this bundle of meat and herbs and aromatics. And then you would sous vide this sealed bag, uh, in water at a low temperature until, all of the sort of all the juice and collagen, and you br- basically break down the skin and uh, make everything really tender, and then you cool it off. So when you pull it out of the bag, it's all one solid, formed, cooked, flavored pork product. And then you'd slice it really thin, and you put it on you know, you eat it with, uh, you know, have it on a sandwich. It's delicious. So I know what a fucking pig face looks like, okay? And this thing is not a fucking pig face. It is a fucking rubber mask that looks like a pig. And it's dipped in fucking fake blood and put into a plastic bag. And Denise is wearing a get mask and is naked, gets into the tub, pulls the fucking bloody pig mask out of the bag, and then wraps it around her fucking dick and jerks off. Again, no cum shot. It's like, what's that about? That's... (laughs) <laughs> That's that whole scene, okay? So then we get on the screen, July sixteenth, two thousand three. Okay, we're we're at a different time, same location. Denise calls an escort service, and an escort arrives. Uh, the character's name is Summer, and Summer is played by the actress Apricot Pitts. Is she related to Brad Pitt? Don't know. I'm not sure. I'm gonna take uh, another drink here. Ooh, that's good whiskey. Okay, <laughs> summer. Uh, she strips naked, and and Denise, um, her and uh, Denise perform some uh, some sex. <laughs> they, uh, they they they. Um, they start with some oral sex where Denise goes down on summer at this point, uh, summer makes her best. I hey gal face and Denise pulls, um, out a knife and summer is, uh, kind of shocked to see a knife, um, and forces summer, uh, to, uh, suck his dick. So she probably would have done it anyways uh her being a hooker after all, but denise uh you know wants uh wants a blowjob at knife point so there you go uh there's there's some uh, missionary uh position and some uh, doggy style uh, performed seeing that Denise has a penis and everything. And Summer is a biological woman, so, you know, we have penis and vagina. And so we see this, and then, then, after, the, uh, after some doggy style, then uh, dead. We cut to Summer's body, her dead body, covered in what looks like a combination of cranberry and barbecue sauce. It's supposed to be blood and gore, okay? But Denise is dead. I'm sorry, uh, Summer... Summer is dead. Denise's fingers and fists... uh, Denise, Denise fingers and fists the knife wounds in the torso of Summer. And then jerks off with the blood and the literal intestines. And then fucks the corpse. Then fucks Summer's dead corpse like in her vagina with her own intestines. So there's that scene. Uh, Two days later, you know, we get on the screen, July 18th, 2003, Denise invites a random man to the room who we don't really see. But we're told through Denise's, uh, you know, uh, her tape recorder that was recovered by the cop and the, uh, her diary that she invites a man up to the room and then just shoots him twice while he's in the bathroom. Then a scene of Denise fucking the severed head of the hooker in the mouth, then through the neck hole. Cause the head severed, you know, with his dick protruding out of the mouth of the severed head. Um, I don't like that. They glossed over. Just, I invited a guy to the room and then you just see Denise walk in the bathroom and, and shoot the fucking guy that we don't even see. Like we don't like, that's the whole killing the random dude scene. It's, you see her raise a gun and shoot something you just we're just told it's a person but you don't actually see the person then we just cut to denise fucking a severed head um i will say the severed head uh, looked pretty good special effects wise it looked like a pretty good severed head but and the um the whole fucking the neck hole with the dick coming out through um the mouth Was interesting because it looked like the severed head's. um, Well, we'll we'll see. His dick was protruding out of the mouth, and it kind of looked like a a, like the corpse's tongue was starting to stick out of the mouth, and then it was like a like a like a coming tongue. It was like a tongue that was coming. Again, um, we don't see it come. There's just inferred cum. There's just cum there coming out of the mouth of the corpse and on the face of the corpse. And you're just like, we don't see it happen. We just see that there's come there. So there's that. Let me play you an excerpt taken from the recorder of Denise Holmes. Okay. This is the last recording at the conclusion of the film. July 20th, 2003. This is a final note I'll write. I feel as if I'm being watched. I think it's time to head out. I've been too careless and it's starting to get risky. I guess I can leave a little note behind. I'll quote my inspiration. Well, it's over now. I didn't ever want freedom. Frankly, I wanted death for myself. This was to tell the world what I did. That I did what I did, not for reasons of, not for reasons of I hate, hated no one. I hated no one. I knew I was sick or I evil knew that I was or sick, or... or evil? Maybe both? I know that I have to turn, to, have God to, turn to, to God to help me get through each day. I should have stayed with, I God. Have stayed with God. I tried and I, I failed and, and, failed created, and created a holocaust. Thank God there will be no more harm that I can do. I believe that only the Lord Jesus Christ can save me from my sins. The end. That is the end of Love Dump. And again, this is a... This is a... a, a, Well, I guess it would be considered a short film. It is, you know... It is around 30 minutes long. And... uh, (laughs) The in the credits i saw that music uh was provided by a band called Sex Android uh which i thought was uh i was like that's a cool name for a band uh Sex Android is actually a 1987 uh a film made by uh Mikhail Ricard and i would i would probably recommend Sex Android over Love Dump um Sex Android is is it's basically like this creepy dude who's sort of like, he's kind of like Dracula. He's kind of like this ghoulish Dracula type creature uh, guy <laughs> basically puts curses on these women and these women turn into a uh, kind of ghoulish creatures, but they're like hot and sexy and there's a lot of nudity. Um, and it's very eighties. So yeah, sex Android, check it out. But um, my thoughts on this film are, well, I mean, Oh god, Love Dump is a uh, okay, so this is a rated X film, but it doesn't really work. At least for me, it doesn't work as a proper adult porn movie because the sex scenes are incredibly lackluster and you know, even even as trans porn, it's it's not uh it's not very satisfying. Even given the situation where it's like sex at knife point, but still, it's like the the sex itself is not even that like shocking or anything. And the um, a love dump doesn't really work as a horror film. Like, there's no real violence, and the suggestion of the violence, um, it isn't shocking at all, other than the the, the depiction of necrophilia. You know, if sex and violence and perverse acts of sex and violence from characters who are serial killers, uh, who may or may not have sex with the dead. (laughs) Um, If you're looking for something more in that realm, um, I would recommend the film, the York Bukhari movie, uh, Necromantic even necromantic 2 but um check out uh, the movie the golden glove and i've actually reviewed the golden glove on this show golden glove is very intense it's a newer movie um or even the film man bites dog um necromantic the the golden glove or man bites dog any any one of those movies would f- like satisfy the need <laughs> Satisfy the need, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but for what this movie's supposed to be, those movies do way better, and they wrap an like an interesting story around the gore, the violence, the sexual depravity you know and and that helps the viewer sort of wrap their head around the scenes of depravity. You know, if there's a story around it, like why is somebody raping somebody? Why is somebody murdering somebody? Why is somebody engaging in fucking necrophilia? Like having some type of explanation, even if the explanation is absurd, it at least brings context to what the fuck is happening. And Love Dump just didn't really have that. It was just, it was like three scenes of somebody jerking off and um, and then the movie ends. <laughs> That's basically what it was. Though I didn't care for this movie, and I don't really recommend it. No. Uh, you know, I, I didn't really, I don't care for this movie, really. <laughs> and I really can't honestly give it a recommendation. But I do, I will say I do respect the fortitude it takes to produce uh, films like... Uh, well, like a Baroque house does. So that being said, I won't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and say like, don't watch any of the, uh, of a Baroque house film. I will say that I will check out some other titles that a Baroque house has to offer. And, you know, maybe I'll find something I like because I can't, you know, I don't think it's fair to judge, you know, a whole series of uh, films based on one film. So, and I think that sounds reasonable <laughs> to anyone out there, but um, so I'm going to check out some more of um, a Baroque house's titles and see, you know, what, what there is. And if I see anything, I, I think is interesting and I, you know, particularly enjoy, I will definitely bring it up on an episode, but sorry, love dump. I, you know what? The hype leading up to it, the hype that got me to actually pay and watch this fucking thing, it was enough. It was enough. It got me, you know, it definitely was intriguing enough for me to watch. So, yeah, I I tip my hat to you for that. That's another reason why I'm like, I like fuck spoilers. I don't uh, I don't believe in spoiler alerts. I'm like, fuck that, because trailers are basically spoilers You know, it's like very rare that you watch a trailer for something and then you watch the movie and you're like, oh, my God, that movie was so much better than the trailer. Like the trailer hooked me and got me into the theater or got me to stream it. And the movie was and not only did it deliver it, it was better than what the trailer fucking, uh, you know, advertised to me. It's like, how often does that actually really happen? It's pretty rare. So but fucking all of all the shit I read up on fucking love dump. It was like, Oh, this movie sounds fucked. I can't wait to watch. And I watch it. And I'm like, it's not that fucked up. Really? <laughs> not really. Um, so yeah, that was love dump. <laughs> Whoo! I need to take another drink after love dump. Ah, good shit. God damn it, that's good whiskey. Okay, I want to mention one more movie. I'm not going to go super deep into it, but I want to mention it because it's definitely um, fits in women killing people uh, type movie, but it's also, I think it kind of is in the same vein of Freeway, sort of, in that you have all these, you, you have this people fucking uh, preying on other human beings and there's a lot of violence and things like that. But there's also this sort of like kind of wicked kind of humor that kind of permeates the film that makes the film really enjoyable and quirky. And it's a movie that was brought to my attention when I first moved to San Francisco, I got a job at a restaurant that is not, it's not open anymore, but it was there for fucking decades and it's right at... Where the hell is it? It's right at Broadway and Kearney. And it used to be a place called Enrico's. And I had a... I was working in the kitchen. It was when I was still in culinary school and shit. And I was a fucking teenager. But I had a sous chef there named Sai, And Sai was like a film student and shit. And he fucking... He fucking brought up... all he opened me up to all kinds of fucking movies that I would never would have probably found on my own and shit. And, um, we kind of had a similar sense of humor and he was quite a bit older than I was, but dude was hilarious. And he was actually from Texas, but he lived in the fucking Bay Area and shit. And we'd always talk about movies and he, he opened me up to like Christopher Nolan. It was the first time I ever heard of Christopher Nolan. He, he, cause I, um, he was like, you got to see this movie called the following. And it was Christopher Nolan. I believe that was his very first movie and it's in black and white. And the following's very interesting. It's probably the most not Christopher Nolan movie. It, you know, it's, 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 it's much more low budget than like memento or fucking, you know, the dark Knight, <laughs> But, um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember really liking it. I like the concept of it. And and then I um I saw Memento and that, that fucking movie was my shit for years and stuff. And then um uh, Boogie Nights, Snatch, stuff like that. But one movie he fucking turned me on to because we would talk about like horror movies, and I really love Silence of the Lambs. He was like, Okay do you remember in silence of the lambs that Buffalo bill had like this pit in his house where he kept women hostage. It was like an empty well in his house and he would keep women trapped there. I'm like, yes, I remember that. He's like, okay. do you remember, (laughs) do you remember the girl that was in the fucking pit that Jodie Foster, you know, saves at the end of the movie? I'm like, Yes. You know, it puts the lotion on the skin. That girl, that girl is in a stars in a movie called series seven. And the movie is shot like a reality show. And she is the star of this movie. And in the reality show, it's a show where people hunt each other for sport And in the movie, she's, like, the fucking champion of fucking hunting human beings. And I was like, I'm sold. Where can I fucking find this movie? Now, there's no streaming. You probably couldn't rent this on TV, on pay-per-view. So, you had to go fucking find a copy of it. So, it was definitely not a blockbuster. There was a really amazing video store that I'm kind of blanking on the name on right now, but it was right on Washington square park in North beach in San Francisco. It looked over the park and it was a one and I lived right down the street from it because it was on Stockton street. I lived on Stockton street and it was this wonderfully curated kind of mom and pop video store and it just broke shit down on the shelves like, like you can tell the people who ran the place fucking loved movies, you know, everything was broken down by director and genre and by actor, you know what i mean it's it was like if you loved Chow young fat movies, there was a chow young fat section, okay, and and um also it was uh that's also where I first watched. The Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense, directed by Jonathan Demme, who directed Silence of the Lambs. Oh, my God. I just brought it all full circle. Uh, Jonathan Demme directed Stop Making Sense. I'm in the video store one day, and I'm looking for shit, and they have TVs on, and the TVs are always playing something. And... They were playing the Jonathan Demi directed Stop Making Sense, which was a live concert uh, by the Talking Heads. And at this point, Talking Heads, I've, I have I've remember seeing them on TV, like on MTV growing up, because I grew up in the 80s. And I remember seeing, like, Once in a Lifetime music video. And, and I heard of the Talking Heads on TV, but I, I didn't have, like... I didn't know a lot about them. And I came in one day and I'm fucking stop making senses on the TV. I watched the whole fucking thing because the movie it's a live concert. Uh, it's not really a movie. I guess it's a movie. It's beautiful. It's really well shot and the performance is amazing, but it was, they started playing it right at the beginning when I came in and it opened up with psycho killer and the rendition of psycho killer on stop making sense is fucking great. And I stood there and I watched, watch the entire fucking thing. And the I do not I don't I don't even know what the fucking runtime for stop making sense is. It's over an hour. Um it's like a yeah, it's like a fucking over an hour and a half. I just stood there and watched it and I was just like, this is great. And then I ended up buying the live album on vinyl because it was around the time where I was really starting to collect records. And then I bought the DVD for it. and for a long time after that, like when I, for people's birthdays, Christmas, like anytime I had to give somebody a gift, I would buy them a DVD copy of Stop Making Sense. It was it's great. And I you know, I haven't watched it in a few years, but I used to watch it all the time. I would watch it at least a couple times a year. Just sit down and just watch fucking Stop Making Sense. It was fucking it's really good. I can't recommend it enough. Uh getting back to series 7 though. <laughs> My God, Adam, can you fucking stay on topic? I'm trying. I'm trying. So, Series 7, directed by um, Daniel Minahan. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Perhaps it's Minahan. But Daniel Minahan, um, he's actually gone on to direct, like... Oh, God. He's directed episodes of uh, House of Cards... uh, What's that fucking show that everybody loves? Game of Thrones. That's what it was. <laughs> My contempt for Game of Thrones is so strong, I literally just forgot its name. My God. Uh, and it's starring uh, Brooke Smith, who I said again was uh, earlier, was uh, she plays the Catherine Martin character in Silence of the Lambs. So, uh, this movie kind of has a You know, in the tradition, in the same vein of, like, The Running Man, or, um, what was it, the short story that Stephen King wrote under the name Richard Bachman, it was called The Long Walk, or um, on YouTube, there is a channel called Atrocity Guide. Atrocity Guide covers really weird kind of internet based situations and stories that kind of not, not specifically internet things like there was, they had an episode on, um, uh, If you're familiar with breath, is basically this cult of people who believe that they can sustain their themselves with sunlight. and, from what I understand, Michelle Pfeiffer was a breatharian, which might explain why she was so skinny. So, you know, so much in her career, but she was a breatharian. But breatharians like Bretharians, all the time they just die of starvation and fucking nutrient deficiencies and shit like that. Like, there's a whole uh, video on breatharians, but the, the the video that got me into. Uh, The Atrocity Guide, the first Atrocity Guide video I ever saw was one about this guy named Nasubi. And I don't know if I ever brought this up on the show before, but look up Atrocity Guide on YouTube and look up the uh, Nasubi. Um, His name is N-A-S-U-B-I, Nasubi. And it's basically this The whole video is about this guy who was on this reality show in Japan. And which kind of ties into series seven. Um, but Nasubi was on this show called A Life of Prizes, and on A Life of Prizes, the game was he was to sit in a room alone and he was not given food, he had water and. He he basically had to win all of his food and entertainment because he couldn't leave the room, and the only way he can win it is like filling out like sweepstakes like um, applications and like this in magazines. So there's a rack of magazines, a table, and envelopes and cards and a pen, and he just ha- he would just write. He would just sign up for hundreds and hundreds of these like sweepstakes for random things like clothes, food. TVs shit like that and I mean long story short Nisubi was in this room for I think 15 months and kind of lost his mind but he was able to basically hit every every goal that the show gave him he was able to hit and exceed um, at the you know at the expense of his sanity basically um, but I, I don't want to give to get too much into that, but check it out. Check out fucking, uh, the atrocity guide on YouTube and look up the Nisubi episode. That's a great entry point for that uh, YouTube channel. Anyways, series seven is the entire movie is played like a reality show. The whole thing looks like a reality show from beginning to end. So if this was just on, on a, it's just like, if you were just walking through a- <laughs> someone's house and this was just on TV, you would just assume it's a TV show. So series seven is the whole thing's a reality show. And the, the name of the reality show is called the contenders. And this is the seventh series of the contenders. Hence series seven where, and okay. The show is this six contestants are picked at random. And there's like this lottery that uses government issue ID numbers to pick random people from a population. The show will pick a certain town and then randomly pick people within that population to participate in this TV show. And the name of the game is when you're picked, the show shows up to your house, like camera crew shows up to your house. They give you a gun and they give you a list of people, uh, five other people that you have to kill. Otherwise, those people are going to come and kill you because you're on their list of people to kill. And the show also gave them a gun. So the show begins from that point. So these people are completely caught unaware and these people are random people. You know, you have, in you have a teenage girl, you have a, like a suburban house dad, you have a elderly nurse lady. Um, so the, the contestants are, uh, Anthony who's like unemployed, like father of two or three married, you know. Suburban house dad guy. There's Connie, who's like an elderly nurse. There's Franklin, who's like this old dude who lives in a trailer park. And there's Lindsay, who's like this teenage girl. She's probably, I don't remember if they say her name, but she's like 16, 17 years old. And there's Jeffrey, who is uh, married and he's dying of testicular cancer. And it seems like he's kind of far along in his, like, cancer. He looks like shit. And um, and the last contestant is the reigning contenders champion, Dawn, played by uh, Brooke Smith. And Dawn, who has 10 kills to her record, has won two other series up to this point. Now, Dawn... Is eight months pregnant. (laughs) So she's this incredibly pregnant woman who's the champion of this fucking show where people have to kill each other. And what do people win? It's a it's a it's a show, right? So people need to win things, right? Is that what happens in shows where people have to compete, Adam? Yes, that is true. That is true, at least in the way that we understand reality shows and in current year, but this show, you have to hit so many wins and then you win your freedom and more importantly, your life. So Dawn has 10 kills. And if she's able to win this season, she will uh, win her freedom, which couldn't come at a better time because the season basically runs for like a month. It's like a month of these people hunting each other. And she's eight months pregnant, so she's about to pop at any moment. So Dawn must win this season in order to win her freedom and save the life of her unborn child. That's that's basically kind of the setup to it. And then they set up all the other characters and kind of the rules of the TV show. And the movie never fucking breaks kayfabe. Like, the entire movie... Like, you wouldn't even think you're watching a fucking movie. There's no opening credits to suggest that this is a movie. Like, it's fucking... The movie is played like a fucking TV show. It's brilliant. The whole movie is shot like a uh, I mean besides like the credits at the end, you wouldn't even know this is a fucking movie. So if I mean if this movie had like commercials, I think it would be even better, but there's no commercials. It's just played like a fucking TV show. Um and I think about this cause I think about like, you know, it's just, you know, satire rich movies like Robocop has fucking commercials or, you know what? It, it this movie kind of reminded me of, um, a movie. That's kind of like a mockumentary that called the Confederate States of America. <laughs> and it's in this alternate universe where, what if the Confederacy won the civil war? What would the world look like then? That's basically what the Confederate States of America is. And it's a kind of a fake documentary of like the world's ran, like if <laughs> the Confederacy won the Civil War. And it has like these really fucking racist commercials. Uh, just look it up. I'm not going to get into that, but just, you can look that up. Um, but like Series 7. I feel like if it had some commercials, that'd be fucking pretty cool too, but the movie doesn't necessarily need it. it's um so this movie came out in two thousand one so up up to that point, two thousand one there was okay, reality based shit there was uh cops. everyone loves cops. There was cops. there was the real world on MTV. Or they take seven strangers and put them in a house and record them and see what the fuck happens. You know, it's so, OK. So it was the real world and there was daytime trash TV. That's pretty much the closest thing to reality shows that there really were. And. And two thousand. so when this movie was actually being made, this was before. Big Brother Survivor, all the, like it was before all that shit. So just keep that in mind if you ever see this. Like this was before the fucking rise of, um, like in two thousand one, VH one was like they played fucking shit like music your music videos your aunt would watch. You know, like Rick Rick Astley and fucking Paul Abdul videos. You know, they they weren't like this fucking reality show network. You know, this was before that. So yeah, seven was before all of them. Um the movie is really wonderful satire that has kind of proven to be accurate in almost like a, like Philip K Dick type of way where it's like, it it kind of predicted the, the trajectory of a lot of things, you know, um, fairly accurate, you know, <clears throat> instead of having like TV shows where people are like, are hunting each other for sport, you know, um, I mean, in, 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 in the two decades since series seven came out, We've had Survivor, Rock of Love, Flavor of Love. <laughs> and then we've had internet shit like uh, World Star Hip Hop, Live Leak. Um, you know, uh, shit like that. And then, you know, you have things like uh, The Young Turks. <laughs> I wouldn't even consider that reality TV. But basically alternative entertainment that is not news and it's not really a structured sitcom type of TV show. It's sort of like something else. It's sort of, oh, oh, I mean, we've had 20 seasons of the Kardashians. Imagine all that shit I just mentioned smashed together and crammed into the movie battle Royale. That's basically what this movie is. It's just madness. And I would uh, not be mad if a remake of this movie was made. um. Even in like a TV show series, like of, you know, Amazon or Netflix, like made a fucking series seven show. I think it would. And, and then if they just played it, like it was a fucking reality show. Like they didn't even try to pretend that it was a fucking like, this isn't, a TV show. This is a reality show and they just fucking never break broke fucking k It would be fucking brilliant. Um except today I'm sure it would be a much more uh ethnically diverse uh movie if they remade this um cuz everyone in uh, series 7 is a uh, white. <laughs> like everyone is white in the movie. Uh the movie takes place I think in Connecticut, so uh, I'm sure they would have some type of uh they would have to put a modern spin on something like this, but I still think it would be good any fucking ways um you know i'm not gonna get too much into series seven i just i i highly recommend it um i of all the movies um I brought up today i would i would definitely recommend series seven. Uh, I, I I mean I would definitely recommend Freeway as well. I can't really recommend Love Dump, sorry, um, but I did say I will give a Baroque House Productions. Um, I will check out some of their other stuff and see if there's something that I really like. And if I do, I'll bring it up later. So what else did I bring up? I know I mentioned instead of watching Love Dump, watch like Necromantic or Golden Glove or Man Bites Dog. I think those are very good. I brought up Sex Android. <laughs> I'd say even watch sex androids. Sure. You know, because, you know, even if you don't want to watch freeway, um, and you don't want to watch love dump, you know, I can, I'll try to like offer up some, um, interesting alternatives because, you know, the sh- I I have to rem- remind myself that this show is about recommending movies to people that maybe they haven't seen before. And, you know, maybe you're tapped out on, uh, you know, the run of the mill movies that exist out there and, You want to hear about maybe some old shit, some new shit. That's what this show is for. Anyways, series seven. It's fucking great. Find it, watch it. Um, but that's it for me. That's, that is the conclusion everyone of the women who kill people episode. (laughs) And I want to wish you all a very happy Memorial day. I'm going to go, um, refresh my drinks because, um, I've I polished off all of my drinks, so thank you so much for listening. If you need to get a hold of me, if you have any uh, film suggestions, feel free to hit me up on Instagram at skeleton underscore factory, and I'll have some. Um, I actually have some uh, interesting things coming up in the starting in the month of June, so keep your ear to the ground for that. I don't want to reveal too much right now, but um, I have some new things come around the bend. So this has been the Skeleton Factory podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This is Adam rescuing your movie night. One movie at a time. I will catch you all on the next one. Bye. Bye.